reading. This morning's scripture reading is John 4, 7 through 14. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your living water. And God, I pray that it flows in and through us to others that don't know you and they can see you through us. I thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you do for us, God, so much more than what we deserve. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And the elbows may be dismissed. So if you have a copy of God's Word, will you open up to Genesis 26? If you don't, there's probably a Bible close by. Today we're going to look at Jacob, I'm sorry, Isaac, I was thinking of John 4 there. Isaac doesn't get a lot of uh, ink in the Bible, but he is an important figure, and today we're going to look at an important story in the life of Isaac and continuing to see God's faithful hand among his people. In Genesis 26, there's a famine in the land. God continues to prove that he is a covenant-keeping, good, faithful God, blessing his people with provision and fulfilled promise. There's repetition in God's story. As God's people struggle, he continues to remain faithful. Thanks be to God that this week, as you and I struggled, God remained faithful. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that of all the many characteristics of who you are, that we continue to see your faithful, covenant-keeping love through the story. And God, if we're humble and honest, we see it in our own story that you have continued to be kind, faithful, and gracious. For those who are in Christ, we understand and we know what it means that you revealed to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that you are with us. God, help us not to forget that. You are with us, even when we falter and fail. You are with us. Remind us of that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, today we focus on Isaac. In verse 24, we read in our passage, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, I am with you and will bless you. So I just want you again to think about this reality that if you are a Christian, God is with you. Do you recognize that in your life? Do you see that? That God is with you. We are, we're quick to forget, aren't we? And this is one of the reasons God gave us the scripture. He keeps reminding us 
of who he is and if we have come to faith, that we have the promise that he is always with us and he will never leave us or forsake us. That's a really good deal. That's a good promise. And we see that again in Genesis 26. So Genesis 26, uh, we'll read the whole chapter. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in the land, I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and will be to your offspring all these lands. And in your offsprings, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Sound familiar? This is what his dad did. She is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man's wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father, his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there was a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essex, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also, so they called it Stinma. Verse 22. And he moved from there and dug another, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you 
and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar the Usuth, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us. Let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent on their way, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told the that they the well they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Saiba, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was forty years old, he took Judith the daughter of Berai the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemuth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So as we've seen in really all of these stories, as we're moving through pretty much a chapter every week, there's a lot going on. The setting is a famine. There was a famine. Isaac moved to Gerar, and God revealed himself. We see this in verses 1 through 5. Another famine famine like in Abraham's lifetime. And another move for the patriarch. And then God appears. Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land. And I will be with you. And will bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and I will give your offspring all these lands and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. So in Genesis 12, we were introduced to this promise and we see this promise carried all the way through the patriarchs, all the way through the book of Genesis. There's a famine And Egypt was the place to go when there was a famine. Later in Genesis, we see Joseph goes to Egypt. Egypt had more resources. They had more water. There was a better chance for livelihood that they'd physically make it. And yet God, in essence, says, trust me. I will be with you. Stay put. Think about how many times you and I have been moving. It may not be geographic. Move from one thing to another because we have not just stopped. He said, Lord, I trust you. What do you want me to do? He tells him not to go to Egypt because I will be with you. I will fulfill these promises that I made to your father, Abraham. Even though there's more resources in Egypt, even though it's attractive, take heed. I will care for you. I will bless you. Sadly, these words from God did not motivate Isaac to obedience or full-on trust. 
This is another reason why we continue to encourage one another to read the Bible. Constantly we need to be reminded of God's promises, namely, that I am with you. Trust me. Walk with me. I will take care of you. It's a constant theme throughout the Bible. For those who have come to faith in Christ alone, these promises are true. It is, pro- it is promised to us that God will be with us. And we need to be reminded of his promises and provisions day in, day out. Thus we read the Bible. God refers to Abraham's obedience. It is interesting to note that obedience is linked to God's promises, and yet God guarantees the fulfillment of his promises even when we don't obey. God continues to faithfully keep his word, carry out his promises. Abraham's legacy lives on through not only his son, not only the patriarch, but God's covenant people. In verse 6, we see that Isaac stays in Gerar. And here we go. She is my sister. Like his dad. Abraham tried to protect himself by being deceitful about Sarah, and now Isaac does the same thing. One commentator reminds us that the book of Genesis shows how little things can become big things. Although I don't believe the Bible teaches about generational curses, notice Abraham communicated a half-truth, maybe we'd say a white lie, because Sarah technically was his half-sister. Isaac tells a full-on lie, and later Jacob, his son, is known as the deceiver. Genesis shows us that little things become big things when they're not rightly dealt with. When we don't quickly turn to the Lord Jesus, when we don't quickly repent, when, when we don't quickly trust God and his promises, not only do we get in a lot of trouble, sometimes perpetually we just see things go from worse to worse to worse. Isaac lied about his wife and got caught as did his father. And notice Abimelech's words in verse 10. What is this you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. It is so interesting, and we've seen this before in the book of Genesis, that it's sometimes the unbelievers that have more fear of God than the patriarchs. This Abimelech is probably not the same Abimelech we saw in previous chapters. This is about a hundred years apart. But again, God's covenant family that had these promises that God had continued to reveal himself struggled to trust him, and yet here Abimelech is seeming to have some healthy fear of God. And yet, God continues to bless Isaac and remain faithful. Isaac stays and is blessed mightily. We see this in verses 12 through 16. I want to remind you, and I think you know this, but it's a good reminder. We do not look to the patriarchs as the perfect example. We follow the God of the patriarchs. Almost every week I hear this from someone. I used to be in church 
But I met some hypocrites, and they were bad examples, and so now I'm no longer around God's people. You see the problem with that? Where's the focus? God's imperfect people. Friends, that same thing will happen to you. If your focus is on good and bad examples and not on the covenant-keeping God, you're in trouble. A lot of people today are not in church, not with God's people, because they were around some imperfect people that messed up and they lost sight of the covenant-keeping God who will never leave us or forsake us. Happens all the time. That's what I hear almost every week from someone who's not in church. Well, I used to be in church. But you know those hypocrites over there at fill-in-the-blank. Friend, you're looking at the wrong thing. Even these patriarchs who in some way are a good example, we are not to follow them. We are to follow the covenant-keeping God of the Bible who never wavers, who is always faithful, who is always good, perfect, and righteous. It's also interesting to know and should be an encouragement to us that God's blessings did not come in response to Isaac's obedience. In the previous verse, we see him lying about his wife, showing an evidence of a lack of trust in God and his protection, but God is rich in mercy and blesses him incredibly. Verse 1 says it was a time of famine. Verse 12 says God blessed Isaac's produce, his crops produce a hundredfold. In response to his obedience? No. Because God is a faithful, kind, merciful God who blesses people even when they mess up. He became very wealthy. Verse 13. Verse 14. Many flocks, herds, and servants, similar to Abraham. Even though Isaac had been imperfect and was unfaithful, God still made good on his promises and provision and was with him. Friends, if you don't see this in your own life, you're going to struggle. Not only does God not bless us based upon our obedience, but because of his kind, faithful love, the opposite is true as well. Obedience does not mean one is free from suffering. Suffering. Remember our friend Job. Remember the Lord Jesus. Never sinned, always did right, and he paid the price for our sins. God is merciful to whom he's merciful to, and we should say thank you, Lord, because that's our story. One of the results of these blessings was envy from the Philistines. We see that in verse 14. They filled in their wells, and Isaac was sent away. Verses 15 and 16. The wells Abraham dug were filled in, and Isaac is in need of water. The wells are full of dirt. There's a continual struggle, but Isaac perseveres. It seems as though somewhere about this time there's a turn for Isaac where he starts listening to the truth that God is with him and will bless him and he perseveres. He's been reminded by the covenant-keeping God, I am with you. The enemies fill in the wells 
and Isaac keeps digging. I think there's a great connection for us here. If you forget that God is with you, you will live life pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and become very discouraged and frustrated. But if you live in response to God's promises, it is the fuel to cause you to keep digging. I've said this many times before, having had the privilege to be a pastor for 18 years, saddest thing for me is how many people quit digging. They're done. It's hard. And you know what it usually is? God didn't give them what they wanted on their time frame the way they thought. They've made a God for themselves, and that's what's called idolatry. See, when we act like a three-year-old and shake our fists at God because he doesn't give us everything we want in our time frame, we won't persevere. We'll quit. Time and time again, I've seen people walk away because they didn't get what they wanted. It became hard. When we understand the kindness and faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he will be with us, it motivates us to keep digging and keep digging and keep digging. God's promise, I will be with you, is a call to perseverance. Isaac departed to the valley of Gerar in verse 17. Isaac's men dug another well. It was filled in by the herdsmen who fought with them, verse 22. And he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Water at last. We know how important water is, but we don't understand this culture. They didn't have the Vermont Pure Coolers. They didn't have tap waters. They didn't have a river right down here. They didn't have the climate we have. They would die without these wells. Water was incredibly important to them. And now God has provided a well which will provide for them what they need. Isaac rightly responds. I've said this before, and Isaiah 6 is such a wonderful reminder. Is when God reveals himself, we're always called to worship. You see this in Isaiah 6. God reveals himself to us. God revealed himself to Isaac, and now Isaac worship. God renews his promise. We see this in verse 23 through 25. God renews his promises. Isaac builds an altar to worship. Isaac expresses his gratitude for God's goodness, his provision, his promises. That's one of the reasons you and I need to be here every Sunday. Together, to thank God for his promises and provisions as his people. Because you know what? This afternoon you're going to forget. Let me ask you this. If you're married or have children, did you only tell your children, your family members, I love you once? I told you 30 years ago when we got married, I loved you at the altar. No, you tell them over and over again. And this is what our good father does. He reminds us. And on Sundays, one of the reasons we come to worship is to remind each other of this faithful God because we forgot this week. And so we stimulate each other to love and good deeds, remembering this covenant-keeping God who says, I will be with you. Because I forgot that a few times this week.
So we worship. Isaac worships in response to this good, loving God. He expresses his gratitude. A treaty is made between Isaac and Abimelech. Abimelech sees God's hand is on Isaac, as was the case of Abraham, and a treaty is made. This week I just kept thinking about this water theme. Verse 32, we have found water. Previous wells were filled in, quarreled over. But after the treaty, this well is dug, and we read, we have found water. Gordon Wenham, in his commentary on Genesis, says this, and I thought it was super helpful. Their remark, we have found water, surely reinforces the feeling of security. With water came security for these people. We don't think of water that way. Isaac had been forced by famine to leave Beersheba for Gerar. Now the discovery of good water supply seems like a pledge of future security in the land. Thus the whole chapter closes triumphantly with Isaac walking confidently in his father's footsteps, experiencing for himself the fulfillment of God's promises. Genesis 22, I'm sorry, Genesis 26, this water supply seems like a pledge of future security. The Bible talks a lot about water, and we're going to see a connection to Christ in a minute. But I want to ask you, spiritually speaking, what is the water you're ingesting? Because we're all drinking something. I'm not talking about physical water. What are you ingesting? Is the water that you're ingesting pledging you future security? Or is it wood, hay, and stubble? And I know as Christians we all say, well, of course my hope is in the Lord Jesus. But is it really? Usually for me, it's Jesus plus my kids behaving, people at church not sending me mean emails, uh, I feel good, I got adequate sleep, good cup of coffee, fill in the blank. It's Jesus plus something. That's no good. The book of Hebrews teaches us to know Jesus, period. And so we have to fight throughout the week to make sure that what we're drinking is that which we ultimately need. Chris read for us this encounter that Jesus had with this Samaritan woman in John 4. Uh, Jesus is setting the stage that here is an unlikely person for Jesus to be talking to. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Women and men didn't co-mingle like this. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And we go on. And she's thinking through this a little. She's thinking about physical water. Jesus is pointing to spiritual water. And in verse 12, she says, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, I think Jesus says to us, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him, will never be thirsty again. 
The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is not going to give me eternal life. The wells that they dug in Genesis 26 are not going to give them eternal life. Christ is the one giving eternal life. And the Bible talks about this this spiritual living water that Jesus is referring to in John 4. And so I want to ask you, are you drinking the living water in which the Lord Jesus has provided? The living water is provided in and through Jesus Christ. Give spiritual refreshment for today and eternal security. The Samaritan woman and you and I brought all kinds of baggage to the well. But Jesus gives life through his death, through his resurrection. So are you ingesting the living water found in the gospel, the cross? Are you ingesting the scriptures which remind and reinforce which teaches us what the living water is. You're going to have to stop ingesting some things. You and I are going to have to stop ingesting certain things if we are going to drink and drink well of the living water. I'll give you one. Media. Bad relationships. Religion. Jesus was coming to free people of religion and introduce them to living water, a relationship with him. If you're going to run to the well and drink deep, you are going to have to leave some things behind. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible that that talks about this is from the book of Jeremiah. Listen to Jeremiah 2.13. This is awesome. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. God's people had forsaken him. They were disobedient. They were unfaithful. They weren't trusting him. And so that's offense number one. And number two, they've hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. If you're honest... I bet there's a cistern you have built that doesn't hold water that you're putting too much hope in. My guess is it's financial or it's family or it's health, maybe even religion. Are you drinking the living water which God has provided? And then the last one. 1 Corinthians 10. For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. I believe he's referring to Moses, the passing through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. Listen to this. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Jesus Christ. We're constantly 
encouraging you guys to see Jesus at the center of the whole story. Here it is. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. This imagery helps us to see that spiritual water is necessary for today and to secure us for eternity. Friends, I want to encourage you, repent of every cistern that's broken in your life, those things that you're ingesting that are unhelpful, that are keeping you away from drinking deep of the well of the Lord Jesus. Father, as I mentioned in East Randolph, there may be no one in this room that needs this sermon more than me. And so, Lord, I pray that I would rightly understand and apply these truths, and I pray that in your kindness you would enable all of us to see our need to drink from Jesus Christ's well, the living water that he provides. And God, for some of us, we have a tender conscience and we know we've been drinking of the wrong thing for the long, wrong time. And I pray that we remember that if we are in Christ, you are for us. You are with us. And may your faithfulness motivate us to grow in faithfulness. And for my friends who may not be believers, that may not be in Christ, open their eyes, Lord. Awaken their hearts. And may they for the first time drink the spiritual rock, which is Jesus Christ. Oh God, would you do this for your good pleasure. We ask it in Christ's name. And Lord, as we worship, I pray that we worship in spirit and in truth and that we worship in response, in gratitude to your kindness, your provision, namely in the Lord Jesus, but we see it in our own lives. Lord, we have messed up this week and yet you are with us. Thank you, Lord. Remind us of these truths throughout the week. For your glory, for our good, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we respond to the word and song?